If you're visiting us for the first time, uh, I want to welcome you to South Hills. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you and sharing and worshiping with you. My name is Efren Peña. I am the campus pastor here. I usually give a disclosure or a disclaimer out there. Uh, I am, as you can see, I bounce from the front to the back, from the left to the right. I cannot stay still. No, it's not ADD. I just, it's just, I'm... I love uh, being able to, the platform that God has given me. I love sharing the gospel. Uh, I am a little passionate. I don't, I'm not angry. I'm not mad. I'm frustrated. You go home, that pastor was mad. No, not, that's just how I, I'm a, I'm a Puerto Rican, right? And Puerto Ricans speak loud and they, they speak with their hands. And, and bec- the re- there's a reason why there's space between the platform and the first row. And it's called the splash zone. Because sometimes it just flies out. And so you're in good distance, all right, until I start walking down there, all right? So this morning, we're going to be wrapping up week three, week three of our series, Regifting. Um, again, we'll plug in the podcast. If you missed week one, if you missed week two, go to the podcast. It's on there. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the website. Listen to it. Right? It gives you another opportunity to listen to it once again, apply what you're learning, and then you can share it. Share it with your coworkers, share it with the people you love, people that need to hear it. It's just an incredible tool to have that we put out there uh, for people that may not be able to get it on a Sunday, people who may not be a little reluctant to come into church, or people who had other things planned on a Sunday, they could not make it, and now uh, they have an opportunity to hear the message. So please uh, find it and, and listen to it, apply it, and share it. So we have been talking, we have been talking about money, right? We have been talking about money. Where did what you have come from? What is it for? And why does it matter what you do with it? It's important that we as a church intentionally carve out time to do an entire series, maybe one or twice a year, about money because money is a big part of our life. It's a big part of our life. No matter how you cut it and slice it, money is a big part of our life. We think about it. We talk about it. We pray about it. We, we, we spend it. We save it. We do a lot with money. So at South Hills, we want to help you realize that everything that you have is from God and that he gave it to you in order to empower you to expand his kingdom. We want to encourage you to leverage the uh, practice of percentage giving, the tithing aspect of it, this principle, to regularly remind you that God is your priority and he is your provider. We also want to inspire you to make it your very own personal goal to increase your generosity year after year as you grow in faith. Church, our aim is never ever to shame or intimidate you or demand anything from you. We just want to educate you. We want to inspire you to leverage what you've got in this life in order to make your life worthwhile. So let's jump right into the last part of our series. This morning's message is titled, Living the Generous Life. Living the Generous Life. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten to, to the end of the month or the year and looked at your bank statements, uh, at your tax papers and, or, or a stack of receipts, and you thought, man, I do not feel like, like, like I have that much to show for what I spent. Like, I'm looking at this, and, and I'm looking at my statement, and, and I'm like, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I feel like I, I spent so much and, and I have very little to show for it. This happens a lot for the Peñas during Christmas season. 
As my girls have, are, are getting older, the gifts keep getting smaller, and there are less of them, of course. But somehow I'm spending more money. Can't figure it out why, but somehow that's happening. You see, we all have moments where we're surprised by what we spent on certain things. We also have moments of disappointment where it feels like the investment does not match. Does not match with what I've invested. The return on it is just not what I anticipated or expected. How much we spent doesn't produce the reward we thought it would or feel as good as we had hoped it would. Friends, truth be told, how we spend our money tells a story. It just, just may not be the story that we want to tell. And so if you're thinking about it's going to be that type of message, yes, it's going to be that type of message. Because in order for us to grow as believers, in order for us to grow as, as Christians, it requires us to, to, to put into play this principle of giving. And it's going to require you to take a hard look at your finances. It's going to take a, require you to take a hard look at your resources and ask the question, what story am I telling here? By the way, this, this, why does this happen? Why, why do we, we question? Why does this question come about? I think it's because if we don't decide what to do with what we have, if we don't decide what to do with what we have, it'll disappear without us ever directing it. If we don't, if we don't, <clears throat> if we don't make the decisions in order to say this needs to go here, this needs to go here, this needs to go here, then guess what? It's going to go somewhere and we didn't have, we didn't make the choice on where it should go. It's just going to happen. How many of you walked around and like, you just got paid and you're like, I don't know what I did. I don't know what happened. Like, like, like I took the girls out. We went on a daddy-daughter date on, on Friday night. And, and, and my wife said, you know, she, she was going out. She was going to hang out at a, at a conference, and she was having a blast. And she said, you know, you, whatever you're going to do this weekend, you do this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Right? And she goes, I'm working on that, right? And so, um, so she goes, and, I, and, and my daughter wanted to go hang with a friend who came from Puerto Rico, and my oldest daughter, uh, older daughter, and, and so I said, okay, I'm going to drop you off, but now that I'm in Burbank, what do I do? I don't want to go all the way up. It's Friday, the traffic, all of that stuff. So I said, oh, let's just go out to get something to eat. So it's already late time to eat lunch. So it's me and the two little ones went to, to Burbank, and we got something to eat, and then they made some comments about a movie, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's just make it a movie, you know, daddy date, movie date. We go to dinner, and, die. and so we went to the movies, and then it was time to fill up the gas tank, and then I was like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I just spent a lot of money, and I don't, I don't know. She, that's not what she said to do, right? You feel me, you know? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We're not the first people to notice this, right? We're not the first to notice this. If you have your Bible, open it up to Proverbs 23.5. Proverbs 23.5, incredible book. If you've read it, uh, it's incredible. A lot of wisdom in there. And it says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle, like it did for Pastor E on Friday night. Uh-huh. 
That's my translation. But it says, in the blink of an eye, wolf disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Now, if you've never read Proverbs previously or noticed it before, it often compares and contrasts wise and foolish behavior. That's what Proverbs is really about. It, it, it doesn't just state one side. It states both sides, the wise and the foolish behavior. And this proverb conveys the feeling that, that what, what we've been talking about. We all hate reflecting on a situation, on an experience, or a decision, and realizing that we were foolish. Right? That we were foolish in that decision, in that situation, in the experience that we just had. So if Proverbs 23.5 tells us what foolish people don't realize until it's too late, what do wise people do? Right? Proverbs 13.22 speaks to that. And it says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly in the lower G on word godly. So basically, this is telling us that everything we have will eventually be gone. Everything that we have will eventually be gone. So where do, uh, so where do we want what we have to go? If it's going to be gone anyway, if that's the eventual, it's going to go, right? It's going to disappear. It's going to go somewhere. Shouldn't we want to intentionally put it where we want it to go? Have you ever noticed that, I don't sound morbid here, but have you noticed that funerals when, when they sometimes say you can't take it with you, all of a sudden you start clenching, you start holding things in your pocket, your purse, you squeeze that purse and be like, what do you mean I can't take it with me? Right? These two proverbs are telling us that foolish people use everything they can on themselves in the right now. And in the end, they feel empty. But wise people make an advanced plan. They make a plan for their resources to bless and benefit others in the ways that it will last long after they're gone. Now, I don't know where you are in your scale of, like, I was born and I'm gone, right? Where you are in that, 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 in that scope of, uh, of timeline, but as believers, the Bible is teaching us that we should be thinking about the resources that we do have and what do we plan to do with them before we get that expiration stamp. So what kind of story is your money telling about you and what's important to you? Just think about that in your life right now. What kind of story is your money speaking? If your money had mouth, if it could talk, if it could promote you, what kind of story is your money saying to you, giving out about you? How, how, how is it working in your favor? How is it benefiting in that way? How is it speaking about the things that are most important to you? Is it the story that you want to tell? Is it the story that, that because you didn't make a plan, because you didn't make a decision, someone else is telling that story? Is it a reflection of who you want and aspire to be? Basically, this proverb is telling us not to pile it up not to pile it up, but to pay it forward. 
Stop being a chipmunk and stirring it in your cheeks. I love Ice Age. He's my favorite character. Him and that acorn. Right? Leaving a lasting impression, a legacy, if you would, that speaks to the fact that you lived a generous life. That you lived a generous life. Listen, this wasn't just something that people in the Old Testament understood. It was something that the first Jesus followers in the New Testament closely attached themselves to as well. When they were freed from the obligation of the Jewish law by Jesus' sacrifice, right, and told by him to forget the rules and to simply do whatever love required to act upon their heart, to let, let love lead the way, they actually became more generous. They became more generous, not less. When God said, listen, let's, let's forget about the rules and regulations. I want you to live your life, let your heart live. Because the truth of the matter is that God created us a certain way. He already put that inside of us. And in our heart, we should be living a generous life. And he said, when you lead with your heart, you're going to live a generous life. You're going to do more with that. This wasn't just something, again, that was understood by the Old Testament. It was understood by Jesus' followers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. The new church, the first church, understood this and said, let's lead, let's do, let's act with our hearts. Church, what drew people to early Christians was their generosity, not their theology. Let's not get caught up on theology here. God is saying, lead, lead with your heart. I've already embedded in you a heart of generosity. Lead with that. It was the way they, that, it was the way they gave what they had to bless other people and tell better stories. People who, who thought their beliefs were loony and crazy still had a tremendous amount of respect for them because of their selfless good that they used their resources to accomplish. So people who didn't, didn't believe everything that, that Jesus was trying to preach and teach stood back and said, man, I, I can respect that. I can understand what you're doing. That, that's coming out of a good heart. What you're doing, helping other people, using it to bless other people, that is incredible. And I know that this is a big statement, so let me give you a few historical examples to back this up, right? In 165 A.D., a plague swept through the Roman Empire, killing about one-third of, of its population in many cities. Historian Rodney Stark writes that while the pagan priests and doctors fled during this crisis, right, the pagan priests and the doctors fled, the Christians were the ones who stayed back, who stayed back and cared for the sick. They were willing to give everything for others. He writes down, quote, while Aristotle taught that the gods cared nothing about human beings, that you, you got to go out uh, of the temple of Isis and nobody said, give your money to the poor. The Christians, they were the ones who gave to the world 
They were the ones, uh, what, what Christians gave to the world was nothing less than a new vision of what it meant to be a human being. That's why the church grew uh, by 40% per year for the next 400 years. Because they were living that generous life. A letter to Diognetus in, in 300 AD explains why faith in Jesus has spread across the Roman Empire. Quote, with regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, Christians follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it is Greek or foreign. And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in the flesh, but they're not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Obedient to the laws, they yet live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. I love that. But what does it mean by an abundance of everything? The things that really matter, they abounded in. Things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So how did the early church who had so little, the early church had so little, how did they manage to give so much? And why do those of us who have so much struggle or seem fearful and worried and act like we don't have enough. Why is that? I think it's because our culture primes us or sets us up to be takers. I think the society that we live in sets us up to or positions us to be takers. What's in it for me? How can I get my hands on a little bit more? I deserve this and more. Church, takers Never have enough. Takers never have enough. But Jesus tells us the way to experience the life that we're really after is to not be a taker, instead to be a giver. Givers ask a different set of questions. Questions like, how can I be of service? How can I use what I have to benefit someone else? How can I pay it forward? Because the truth of the matter is that givers experience contentment. When you are a giver, you become satisfied. Contentment is the feeling of getting to the end of the month or the year and feeling good about what you did with what you had. It's not that it wouldn't be nice to, to have a little bit more, but it's the sense that I did the best, I did the best with what I was given. I told the story that I wanted to tell. I'm proud of how I handled what I had. I left an inheritance for somebody else. So friends, the real question here is this. Are you using your money to acquire more stuff or to author meaningful stories? That's the real question at hand here. Are we using our resources to acquire more stuff, to become takers, or are we givers in order to author, to pen, to write meaningful stories? 
Because here's the thing. This is what we as believers should be, should, should be thinking, should be feeling, should be expressing. And that is fulfillment is found through increasing your standard of giving, not your standard of living. In other words, contentment, satisfaction can be found when you live a life of giving instead of being focused on building up your standard of living. So the opposite of everything that our culture tells us. It's the opposite of everything our culture is telling us. The opposite of everything, of every advertisement out there that is working so hard to convince us that we need this. That in order to live a life up here, you need to have this. In order to be, have this label that you are well off, that you are happy, that you're going to be smiling from ear to ear, that you need to have these things. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you cannot have these things. I'm just expressing that, that as believers, we should be more focused on living a life of increasing our standard of giving than trying to build up our standard of living. So let me wrap this up here. We've been talking for several weeks now about re-gifting. And as Frankie so eloquently put it, we weren't talking about our, our gifts, our natural talents. And moving that forward, that's, that's for another series. But if we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God, that he is our provider, that he supplies our needs, that he positions us desires for us to live a certain way, to manipulate our resources, our finances, in order to leave a lasting impression. How do we do that? Because we could talk to, uh, I could stand up here and talk to, uh, I'm skinny. And that's going to take a little while about giving if we just talk about it and do nothing about it, guess what? I'm going to be skinny and we're still not doing anything about it. The word of God should be read. The word of God should be meditated. The word of God should be applied and practiced and put into play. So what do we do? For three weeks we've been talking about this. What do we do? How do we find fulfillment by increasing our standard of giving and not our standard of living. How do we go about that? Well, I suggest that you live a generous life. You live a generous life. Make a plan to start giving, a plan to give more, a plan to give more than you were giving before. Maybe you're here today and you've been giving your tithes, and that is awesome. That's an incredible step. If you've never given your tithes, the first part, what you want to do is start. It's your first step. But maybe you're here and you've been giving your tithes, and you're like, okay, I've been doing that. And that's awesome. That's an incredible practice of this discipline. 
but we're talking about living a generous life. What if you made a plan to go beyond that? What if you made a plan to give more? Maybe to, to B-O-W. And maybe you've been giving to B-O-W. Pastor, I've been giving my tithes and I've been giving to B-O-W. What if you made a plan to give more to B-O-W? You're sitting there, why, okay, why B-O-W? What's special about B-O-W? Let me, let me share a few things here with you. Because B-O-W is our mechanism to pull our money and change the world. It's through B-O-W that we plant new campuses. It's through B-O-W that we create environments where people feel seen and welcome and loved. It's through B-O-W that we reach around the world to meet practical needs of people that we're never going to meet and, 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 and never going to speak their language. Most of us can't do all of these things with what we have to give alone, right? But when the best that you have is combined with the best that I have and is added to the best that we all here have, and then we add that to the best that all of our other campuses, the other nine campuses have, I believe that we can truly make a dent in our city, in our community, in our nation, in our countries. I believe that we can really address issues and concerns that people may have. And when we give to stuff like that, we often don't miss the money. We often don't miss the money. We don't regret not having the stuff, but it feels so good to know that we were part of telling those stories that you had a part in making those stories, that you had a part in leaving an inheritance to someone else. At our Dream 2019 event this past summer that we had for all those who freely gave to the vision and dreams of Southfields in 2018, we used the words, think of all the stories that you helped write but have not yet heard. Think of all the stories that you had a part in, that you helped write, that you helped create, that you have not heard yet. So church, can I take the next few minutes here to share some of these stories with you? My hairs are standing up right now, by the way. Burbank campus this is Derek who came to Christ and was baptized and is changing his entire family because he came to know Christ at our Bourbon campus. At our Puerto Rico campus, these kids were able to have fresh and healthy snacks for an entire week during their recess and story time because of your giving. At our Riverside Espanol campus, which just launched just a few weeks ago, this entire family has recommitted their lives back to Christ and seeing God do incredible things in their marriage and as a family. 
at our Costa Mesa campus. Lisa is a big part of the church for the first time ever in her life. She has given her heart to Christ and is scheduled to be baptized next Sunday. At our South County campus, again, just launched a few weeks ago, this family right there loves their church, especially their kids. Their kids love, are having so much fun going to church and learning about God. They love being part of the volunteer team after service and picking up the carpet squares after service. And they cannot wait to get baptized at their new church. At our San Diego campus, A single mom was gifted a laptop as she prepares to go back to school to better support her family financially because of your giving. At our our Riverside campus, not Riverside Espanol, our Riverside English campus, this is Jane. Not your Jane, not our Jane. This is Jane. In the last, our story mirrors quite a bit. In the last 12 months, she has been baptized. She has started serving at her church. She has attended Discover. She has stepped into leadership and living a life free from depression and anxiety. And our, at our Corona campus, this is Amber. Because of the hope and acceptance and sense of community that she has found at South Hills, she is able to tunnel herself out of dark depression and suicidal thoughts and has gradually learned to love herself and is supported by a community that truly loves her. Friends, these are just a fraction of the stories that you have helped write, that you have helped make possible by living a generous life. A life that says, man, I want to give forward. I want to leave an inheritance. I want to leave a legacy behind that helps create the stories, that helps write the stories. Some of you are answering, so what's the story here, Pastor E? What story did, how come we didn't share the story? Because you're, some of you know the story. I sent the story of Jane and what God has been doing in her life, how she has been baptized, how she has brought her family in, how she has gone to discover and see what God has done in her life. Stories that you yourself have helped write and can see with your eyes. So I made a mention about making a plan. So what does that plan look like? Because money has a way of slipping through our fingers and disappearing before we know it. And your moment-to-moment emotions are not reliable enough engine for forging your preferred identity. What if you made the decision to give more to stories you believe in each year what if you gave to these stories and somehow in some way I believe that if you did you would be living a story that you yourself would be proud of that you yourself would love to share how so and so has committed their heart to Christ 
how so-and-so has been baptized, how so-and-so has changed their life. And I get it. Trusting someone else with your checkbook is difficult. Trusting someone else to manage your money. Investing into someone else could be difficult. I get that. But our walk with Christ is really about faith. About the things that we cannot physically see in front of us. It's about trusting and believing in someone far greater than I or you or us. It's about going back to that moment where you found Christ for the very first time. And, 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 and putting your mind and heart saying, man, because someone gave, because someone wanted to leave an impression, a, a lasting inheritance, a leave a legacy behind, I came to Christ. 27 years ago, I walked through the doors of North Hollywood First Assembly. My life was tattered. My life was shameful. My life was broken. I was an abandoned building ready to be torn down. But because somebody gave, someone in the same position that you're sitting in right now said, you know what? I believe in the power of God. I believe that God can do credible things. I believe that God, if someone connects with God, life can be changed for them. And because someone did that, I'm standing on this platform preaching the same exact thing. Because someone wanted to live a generous life. Someone thought I was worth investing into. So here at Southfields, we do something to curb the risk. Because sometimes that risk is a hard hurdle to climb over. And we call it the 90-day challenge, 90-day giving challenge. Some of you were, la- were here last week, and you signed up, and you gave your card, and that was incredible. And so now I'm speaking to those who were not here, took a card, and were praying about it, not knowing which way you were leaning. It's a card that looks just like this, perforated down the middle. And it says, why a a giving challenge? And it really isn't a challenge, Pastor E. You're telling us to give, and what's the challenge? Well, I'm telling you to do what Malachi, the word of God in Malachi says. It says to test me in this. And see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out something so incredible, something so ridiculous that you wouldn't even know how to contain it. You wouldn't even know what to do with it. And on here, it says Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your heart, church? Where is it fixated on? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do? What does your money say about who you are and what you're doing? On that card, there's a place to put your name, email, phone number, and address. It says, for the next 90 days, I'm committing to either tithe 
on a regular basis. 10% of your finances, 10% of your weekly paycheck, 10% of your bi-weekly paycheck, 10% of your monthly paycheck before the taxes to tithe 10%. Some of you got that. I'm on it. Signing that off, checking off right now. Then there's another box that says, I, give, I commit to regularly give to beyond the walls. And that is for someone who has already been paying their tithes, their 10%, and not have given to beyond the walls just yet. But it says to regularly give to beyond the walls. And now I'm going to speak to those who have not practiced this principle. I'm not here to shame you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm just saying to, to do what the Word of God says, to test Him. Start somewhere. Maybe 10% is like, oh my gosh, that's just way too much money. I get that. I, I get it. Work your way up there. Start somewhere though. Maybe it's two, maybe it's five, maybe it's 7%. But take this challenge. And here's the kicker. You never hear this at any other church. This is probably the only church you're ever going to hear this from. We believe so much in what God has called us to do as a church. We believe so much in the principle of giving. We believe so much in living a generous life that we're willing to give you a money-back guarantee that within these 90 days, you don't see God do something incredible in your life. Whether he blesses you financially, that looks like a blessing financially, whether God does a miracle of healing, whether God does something in your life or in the life of people that you know because you stepped out in faith and you stepped out and took this challenge. If you don't see something, do, you don't see God do something, your life doesn't change in some way, come see me. We'll count up all the money that you have given in the last 90 days and we will gladly give you a refund check for that. No questions asked. What it boils down to, church, is an investment into the kingdom of God. Do you trust God with your money? Do you understand that your money comes from his hand of generosity? Do you understand that you have an opportunity to help create, to help write stories, just like my story? just like Jane's story and the countless of stories that are in this room. So if you have your card, you had it last week and you're trying to figure it out, we're going to pray that you would be bold enough to write it, fill it out and drop it in the basket. If you don't have a card, raise your hand and you're ready to take the challenge. Our ushers will come and give you a card, Right? They'll fill that out, but you fill it out and you drop it in the basket. This leads me into our giving portion of it. I got another story to share with you uh, about BOW and the practice of giving uh, to BOW. Take a look. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Jay. And we've been married about nine years now. We have a five and a six-year-old, Emily and Kara, and we've been going to South Hills for about two years now. I grew up in a small town, big Catholic family, state of Indiana. I was one of six, single parent. We didn't have anything really to give, but we did do a lot of stuff with our time and the church. 
growing up, went to college, kind of fell out of the church, but then got back into it when I moved out to California as an adult. Kind of kept that same mentality of giving of your time, did stuff here on campus, did stuff outside of church, wanting to teach the kids that it's good to give of your time, not expect anything back from it. But then about a year into it, we decided that we needed to start giving financially. So we started giving, using the checks, using the push pay. Growing up in church and in youth group, you always hear about tithing. And coming to South Hills, it was the first time that it wasn't discussed as you have to do this. Uh, it was more discussed as if this is your home, if this is where you feel comfortable, then of course you would give to it. And it just felt more natural. It really hit home when Beyond All Walls was announced. We had a bunch of special projects that we wanted to deal with, and it was a way to make sure that we had the coverage for that. We've been attempting to save for home, so we've been trying to pinch our pennies, but we both decided that it's something that we should do. So we decided on a number. We gave on that Sunday, and then the following Monday, I gave Lizzie a text message when I was at work, and I received a promotion. And it was out of the blue. It was not on our radar as a possibility at all. It's a good feeling that you know that you can give your finances and God will be there to help you when you need your help. Money has always been a nuisance almost in our lives. But for me, it was never something that was linked to our journey with God. And until we came to South Hills, we didn't think of them on the same path at all. You know, right now when we're dealing with finances to try and buy a home, not stressing out so much. I haven't been stressed lately about money because I just kind of realized that it's not about us. He's going to figure it out for us. And it's felt really good and comfortable to know that we can still give and know that we're still be protected and covered with our faith. The stress has gone away. It's something that, hey, if this works out, it works out. If not, it means we have something else planned for us. That weight is lifted. It's not up to us. And he is with us 100% on this. Amen. Another story being written when people trust God with what he has given them.